sleep and relax ASMR. I wanted to take a moment uh, and say thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast. I also wanted to mention that we just launched our website, which is sleepandrelaxasmr.com, just all spelled out. Uh, the website has all of our show episodes, news, and announcements, and it also has information for brands that are interested in sponsoring the show. But uh, most importantly, the website will make it easier to connect with you guys. Um, and I would love to get in touch with as many fans as possible. So I invite you guys to check out sleepandrelaxasmr.com. It's all spelled out. If you're confused about the spelling, just check out the show notes uh, and there will be a direct link. But that's all for now. Thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the episode. So I've been getting a lot of requests to do um, more episodes reading novels or short stories. So I thought a nice one to start off with would be Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. So without further ado, let's, let's start the novel. Mrs. Mann. She was a mean woman who 
starved the children and stole most of the money which was supposed to be used to feed them. A great many of the children died from poor care and lack of food. They were not washed or fed properly unless someone from the parish was coming to visit. Oliver Twist lived like this for eight years. He was a pale, thin child. Although he was small and weak from lack of food, he had a good heart and a strong spirit inside. On his ninth birthday, poor Oliver was put into a dark basement with two other boys. They had been locked up after a bad beating for saying they were hungry. That very same morning, Mr. Bumble paid Mrs. Man a surprise visit. Now, Mr. Bumble was a round man with a hot temper. He had a job with a local parish board and was called a beetle. Mr. Bumble thought this was a rather great grand title. However, it was not quite as grand as he imagined. This beetle thought he was important enough to act rudely, so he kicked and rattled the big metal gate of the work farm. Do you think this proper, Mrs. Mann, to keep a parish board member waiting, he grumbled. With great respect, Mrs. Mann took the man's hat and came and cane and placed them on the table. Bumble told Mrs. Mann and Oliver Twist that Oliver Twist was now nine years old and ready to leave the farm and return to the workhouse. Soon, a freshly scrubbed Oliver was led into the room. He was given a slice of bread, and a little brown cap was placed on his head. Then Mr. Bumble led him away from the awful home, where not one kind word or look had ever brightened his day. Mr. Bumble handed him over to Mrs. Corney, the woman who supervised the workhouse. He told Oliver that he was to appear before the parish board. Not having much of an idea of what that was, Oliver was not quite certain whether he ought to laugh or cry. Bow to the board, said Bumble, as he led the boy into a room where several men with powdered wigs sat around a meeting table. Oliver was frightened at the sight of so many proper gentlemen. He brushed away two or three tears and looked around. The only board he saw was the long board of the table, so he bowed to that. Mr. Bumble gave him a quick tap of his cane from behind, which made him cry. The boy is a fool, said one of the well-dressed gentlemen in a fancy white coat. Another asked, Sir, do you know what do you know you've got no father or mother, and that you were brought up by this parish, don't you? Yes, sir, replied Oliver weeping bitterly. Well, you have come here to be educated and taught how to work for your pay, so you'll begin tomorrow at six o'clock. Oliver was hurried away to a huge room full of rough, hard beds. There he sobbed himself to sleep. The workhouse was an awful place, to be sure. The only food Oliver and the other boys ever got was a watery cereal called gruel and no more. The copper bowls never needed washing. The boys polished them with their spoons, scraping up every last little bit. Then they would sit staring at the empty pots with, he with their eager eyes, sucking their fingers. The poor boys got weaker and weaker. After three months, the boys held a meeting to see which of them would walk up to the master after supper that evening and ask for more food. They all drew straws, and Oliver lost. Supper hour came. The master.
pasture of the workhouse passed out the gruel. It was soon gone, and Oliver was still hungry. Slowly, he walked up to the master with his bowl and spoon in hand. Oliver said, Please, sir, I want some more. The master could not believe what he had heard. What? he shouted. Please, sir, replied Oliver, I want some more. The master, steaming with anger, aimed a blow at Oliver's head with his big spoon and shrieked for Mr. Bumble. The parish board met again and ordered that Oliver be put into a room by himself. Chapter 2 Oliver Escaped from the Coffins For a week, Oliver remained a prisoner. He was forced to wash every morning under the water pump in a cold stone yard. He was whipped every day. Oliver was used as an example of everything bad that the other boys should not be. He was forced to listen as they prayed that they would ever be like him. The board of gentlemen met to discuss what to do with Oliver Twist. They thought that perhaps he should be sent away on some small trading ship headed to a good, unhealthy place. Meanwhile, Bumble asked the local undertaker if he needed a young boy to train up in his funeral business. Indeed, he did. The undertaker, a Mr. Snowberry, met with the board for five minutes. It was agreed that Oliver should go to him that same evening. The boy heard the news of where he was to be sent and said not a word. With nothing but a few things stuffed in a brown paper bag and his brown cap, Oliver followed Mr. Bumble to another place of suffering. Oh, that's the boy, is it? Come in here. Oh, come in here, Mrs. Snowberry, said the undertaker, calling to his wife. A short, unfriendly-looking woman came in from the back room. She glared at Oliver. He's very small, she snapped. But he'll grow, Mrs. Snowberry. I guess he will, she fussed. On her food and drink, orphans always cost more to take care of than they're worth. Get downstairs. Get downstairs, little bag of bones. With this, the undertaker's wife opened a side door and pushed Oliver down some steep stairs into a damp, dark room next to the coal cellar. There sat a messy-looking young lady in ragged clothes. In ragged clothes. Here, Charlotte, said Mrs. Snowberry, give this boy some of the cold skin, some of the cold scraps that there that were put out for the dog. Oliver's mouth watered. He was hungry enough to eat anything. When he finished, Mrs. Snowberry pushed him into the room where coffins were stored. Your bed's under the counter. You don't mind sleeping among the coffins, I suppose. Well, it doesn't matter matter whether you do or don't, for you can't sleep anywhere else. As he crawled into his narrow bed that night, boy wished that it were his own coffin in a quiet graveyard with tall grass waving gently above his head. Oliver was awakened in the morning by a loud kicking at the outside of the shop door. Oliver unbolted the door and opened it slowly. I'm Mr. Noah Claypool, said a mean-looking young man as he stepped through the door, and you're under me. Get to work, you lazy workhouse boy. With this, he kicked Oliver and entered the shop acting as if he were someone very important. Noah Claypole was large-headed with small eyes. He was from a poor family, and he worked for Mr. Snowberry. The neighborhood boys had always made fun of him and his family, 
a chance to be mean to someone else. Here was an orphan boy to boss around. Oliver began to learn the funeral business. Mrs. Norberry liked the look of Oliver's pale, sad face, so he dressed so he dressed Oliver up to walk in the funeral marches. He had many chances to see the strength and courage with th with which people face sorrow and death. This stuck in Oliver's mind. Oliver learned that the sad families were very thankful for the kindness and comfort he was able to give to them. But he found no comfort within the Snowerberry. This, this, oh, it's Snowerberry. Sorry, Snowerberry. Sorry, I've been reading as Snowerberry. My apologies. Uh, he found no comfort within the Snowerberry house. For many months, Oliver put up with mean Noah Claypool. Charlotte treated him badly because she saw Noah doing it. Mrs. Sowerberry disliked him just because Mr. Sowerberry seemed to like him, sometimes. One day, Oliver and Noah Claypole were having supper when Noah decided to tease the young boy. He made several cruel remarks, but was not happy until he made Oliver cry. You know, said Noah, your mother was no good at all, and it's a lot better that she died when she did, or else she'd have been jailed or hung.
sick looking you are. I heard the doctor tell him I was dying, replied the lad with a faint smile. I am very glad to see you, but don't stop, don't stop. I shall see you again, Dick. I know I shall. You will be well and happy. I hope so, replied the child, putting his arms through the gate and flinging them around Oliver's neck. Goodbye, Oliver. Bless you. The blessing was from a young child's lips, but it was the first one that Oliver had ever been given in his whole life. He never forgot it. Chapter 3 Oliver meets Fagin and his band of thieves. Oliver decided that he would go to London. Not even Mr. Bumble could find him there. Maybe somewhere in that big city, someone would take a homeless boy off the streets. It took him seven long, heartbreaking days to reach London. Early on the seventh morning, still outside of the city, Oliver sat crouched down on the step. He noticed that a boy was looking at him with great interest. The boy was about his age. He was one of the strangest-looking boys that Oliver had ever seen. He was dirty, and he had small, sneaky eyes. He wore a man's coat, which reached nearly to his heels, and he kept his hands stuffed in the pockets of his trousers. He wore a grown man's hat, which kept sliding to one side. Hello, what's up? The strange boy said. I am very hungry and tired, replied Oliver in tears. I've been walking for seven days. Going to London? asked the boy. Yes, replied Oliver. Got some place to stay? No. Got any money? No. Never mind, you'll come along with me. I stay with a merry old gentleman who will feed you and take you in. The hungry boy decided to accept the offer. When they stopped to get a bit of food, Oliver discovered that the boy's name was Jack Dawkins. His friend called him the awful, the artful dodger because he was such a sly, clever rascal. Late that night, they entered London, a dirtier or worse place Oliver had never seen. The streets were very narrow and muddy, and the air was filled with bad smells. There were children everywhere, and at that time of night, they were crawling in and out of the doors or screaming from the inside of the homes and shops. Oliver was ready to run away when the Dodger pushed open the door of an old house and pulled him inside. There stood a very old man with a cooking fork in his hand. His wrinkled face was hidden by a lot of dirty red hair. He seemed to be looking back and forth from the frying pan to a great number of silk handkerchiefs hanging up nearby. Seated around the table were four or five boys, none older than the artful Dodger. They were smoking long clay pipes and acting more like men than boys. I've bought a pal. I've brought a pal. This is him, Fagin, said Jack Dawkins to the old man, my friend, Oliver Twist. Fagin peered at Oliver. Then he said, Dodger, take the sausages off the stove and draw a stool near the fire for our new boy, Oliver. The boy ate his share and took a drink. Fagin handed him. Afterward, he felt himself gently lifted onto a stuffed sack, and he sank into a deep sleep. It was late the next morning when Oliver awoke. There was no other person in the room but the old man. He saw Fagin lift a small box from a hiding place in the floor. The old man's eyes glistened as he raised the lid and looked in. He took from the box an expensive gold watch, sparkling with gems. More beautiful jewelry filled the box. Fagin took out one small piece. There seemed to be some writing on it. Leaning back in his chair, he muttered, What a fine thing it is. The dead men never tell. 
the old man said these words, he looked over and saw Oliver. The boy was staring at him, faking close the lid of the box with a loud crash and shouted, What do you watch me for? What have you seen? Speak out, boy. I wasn't able to sleep any longer, sir, replied Oliver quietly. I am very sor sorry if I, ever if I have bothered you. Did you see any of these pretty things, my dear? said Fagin. Yes, sir, replied Oliver. Ah, he said, turning rather pale. They're mine, Oliver, all I have to live on in my old age. I just keep them in this box to keep them safe, that's all. But we'll forget you saw this, eh, my dear? He must spend all his money feeding these boys, thought Oliver. He lives in such a dirty place for a rich man. Soon, the Dodger returned with a lad named Charlie Bates. I hope you've been at work this morning, my dears, said Fagin to the other to the two boys. Hard as nails, cried the boys. They took some wads and fancy handkerchiefs out of their pockets. Fagin looked them over, smiling. Hmm, said Fagin. Very nice, boys. But the stitching in these handkerchiefs will need to... as the old gentleman and the boys began playing a very strange game. Fagin filled his pockets with an eyeglasses case, a fancy pocket handkerchief, and several other valuable things. He then trotted up and down the room with a stick, as if he were an old gentleman on the streets with his walking cane. Sometimes he stopped at the fireplace, and sometimes at the door, making believe that he was staring into shop windows. All this time, Charlie and Dodger followed around near him, getting out of his sight every time he turned. At last, the Dodger stepped, down the, stepped on the old man's toes. At the same time, Charlie took the pocket handkerchief and the glasses came from his pockets. But the old gentleman felt a hand in one of his pockets, so he cried out, and then the game began all over again. After the game, two young ladies stopped by. One was named Bet and the other Nancy. They visited a bit, and then the Dodger and Bates and the two young, two young ladies all left and went outside. The kind, the kindly Fagin gave them money to spend. Have they gone to work, sir? asked Oliver. Yes, they have. Learn to be like them, said Fagin. Do everything they ask of you and take their advice, especially the Dodgers. He'll be a great man one day, and he'll make, he'll make you one too. Is my handkerchief hanging out of my pocket, my dear? Yes, sir, said Oliver. See if you can take it out. And mind you, I must not feel a thing. Oliver held up the bottom of the pocket with one hand, as he had seen when Dodger, as he had seen the Dodger hold it, and lightly drew the handkerchief out with the other hand. Well, I never saw a sharper lad. There's a here's a coin for you. If you go on like this, you'll be the greatest man of the time, said Fagin. Oliver couldn't understand how taking a handkerchief out of somebody's pocket could make anyone a great man. So that's all I'll be doing for this episode. Um, I'll definitely release at least part two, um, either next or sometime in the next week. Um, let me know if you guys like it. Let me know if there's a story afterwards you want me to read. If you guys enjoy it, I'll be more than happy to finish the novel. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with the show, just send an email to sleepandrelaxasmr at gmail.com. Visit our website, sleepandrelaxasmr.com. And uh, for now, it's goodbye, and thanks as always.